0: And as you know, life isn't always easy. In fact, it can often feel like a struggle. And I wanted to convey that. And so we have a hand reaching up here. You know, it's almost like a, a cry for help. Someone save me! And hands reaching down to pull them up. I wasn't going to mention this, but do you remember that scene from Lord of the Rings with Sam and Frodo? And Sam goes to go out to the boat where Frodo is, and Frodo's going to go off alone and Sam goes no I'm coming with you and but he's weighed down with all the pots and pans that are typical of a hobbit and he goes out into the water and just begins to sink and there's this scene where he's like trying to get up you know to the top of the water does it does everyone know what I'm talking about and then the hand comes down and saves him frodo's hand comes down and saves him and and so that's what it can be like in our lives you know we we don't necessarily live in a war-torn area of the world. But in many ways, we need saving. You know, We know that there's something not quite right, that there's this piece of the puzzle. And I certainly did. So I'll be unpacking this a little bit more tonight. Um, I thought that as I look around the room, I can see quite a few people know me, Um, But maybe you've heard bits and pieces about where I come from. I thought I'd just start at the beginning, set a little bit of a foundation, and then we can take it from there. So, um, as Garth has already mentioned, and as my accent has already given away, I'm from Australia, a little place called Port Lincoln. That's where it is in South Australia. It's got about 16,000 people that live there, and it's a real, um, it's a bit of a surfy village. There's uh, seafood, lots of seafood. It's one of the key industries. But there's also farming that goes on. And Port Lincoln, interesting fact, it has one of the highest rates of millionaires per head of capita. But with all that wealth, there's kind of like uh, this seedy underbelly that's really driven by drugs and there's this allure for young people to sort of ditch the job uh, there's high uh, youth unemployment, and to go and just you know chase the waves and go on drugs and basically become the the term you know a surf bum, um, and and that was alluring for me as well, but never quite got there though. I, I did other things, but it's known for its um, surfing, as I mentioned. But there's one inhibitor to that, and that's the sharks. I have <laughs> I have a very morbid. And weird statistic to my name, I actually know three people who have been killed by sharks before. And normally when there's a shark attack in Australia, I'm always like, is that Port Lincoln? Uh, I know South Africa has its fair share as well. But um, Shelly Durden, my cousin's auntie, she, she unfortunately met a demise with a while snorkeling. Jevon Wright, my sister's um, first boyfriend, as well as another guy I used to play football with as well. So it's it's quite tragic. But um, I, I this is a picture of Port Lincoln here. Uh, it's a beautiful little place. Uh, that's taken from Winter Hill. Locals call it Winter's Hill, but all the signs say Winter Hill. I'm not quite sure why. But um, here's the shot again, but this is with me and my two brothers... I do have a a younger sister who I'll get to in just a moment, but there's six of us, including my parents and myself. That's me and my twin brother on either side of my older brother, Brett. So quick pop quiz. Which twin am I? Am I this twin on this side or am I that twin on that side? Okay, so quick show of hands if you think I'm the twin on that side. Oh, we've only got a few hands up. Okay, twin on this side. Well, of course, I'm the the cuter twin. I'm the one on that side. Uh. (laughs) Um, This is a picture of me sitting next to my sister, um, Tara, and this is a picture of us a little bit more grown up on the farm. I grew up on a farm, and in many ways it was a great childhood. You know, I got to shoot guns and go yabbing and all this sort of stuff that you could only really do on a farm. But I grew up in a a Catholic upbringing and we would religiously go to church every single week. But I guess church wasn't really something that we, uh, you know, faith in general wasn't something that we discussed uh, much at all around the dinner table or anything like that. It was reserved for when we went to church. Um, But despite that, I had a very early knowledge of God, like a personal relationship with him in many ways, which I didn't really see at the time in my brothers or sister. And this really came to head when I was uh, probably about 12 or 13 years old perhaps. I went to have an operation at, general, at my first ever general anaesthetic. And I remember being terrified about this, as you would, And um, I made the mistake of watching a documentary on the night before of operations go wrong. (laughs) People waking up when they're supposed to be asleep and they're getting cut open. And, of course, this did nothing for my confidence. (laughs) So by the time they wheeled me into the operating table and they connected the little heart rate monitor, has anyone ever had that before where you get the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, and you can hear your heart rate, it's going... Well, mine was going beep, 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 like I was having a cardiac arrest. And um, <laughs> I, I remember the anaesthetist was just about to put the injection in. And just in that moment, as I was just fully freaking out, I remember calling out to God and going, God, save me. And the clearest I've ever heard it, it was it was almost audible. I heard this, Evan, everything is going to be all right. And I remember hearing my heart rate, and it was going beep, 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 and then all of a sudden it went beep, beep, like resting. And I remember the anaesthetist was, did a double take, like did, did I just inject the, <laughs> inject him because it was such a dramatic shift. But I heard God, and I knew it was true, like I couldn't fake something like that. To have such a dramatic shift in my heart rate. So despite that, unfortunately, as I entered into my teenage years, I, um, in many ways, I tried to forget about God, and I tried to forget about that encounter, because ultimately I wanted to live my own life and to, you know, live, a, I guess you could say, a sinful life and do things wrong without having to think about the implication. Of those actions, and so eventually, I moved to. At the age of eighteen, we moved as a family to Central Victoria, the place called Bendigo. Bendigo's got about eighty thousand people. Here's a. Here's, it looks rather nice in that photo, but it's. We'll just leave it there. Um, <laughs> there's not too much to do, landlocked and all. But um, I went to university there. And I guess uh, I took up a bit of a party lifestyle. Um, but in many ways, I was over the whole, you know, learning thing. And this is a photo of me taken at about that time. Um, I never thought I'd have a photo of myself holding a beer while in church. But that was me nonetheless. That's me and my cousin. Um, I ended up dropping out of university, and if I had have had my way, I would have just gone on the dole and just gone from one party to the next. But, well, now thanks to my father, though I resented it at the time, uh, he ended up getting me a job at the local service station, working for a company by the name of Ampol. And while I was there, unbeknownst to me, I was just serving customers, and eventually I served the general manager of Ampol, and of the region, and he ended up giving me a job. Uh, he was impressed with the service that I gave him when I didn't know who he was. And he gave me a job there, and by this stage I'm 19, and it was the first instance that I had of managing anyone, let alone people my father's age. And so all of a sudden I, I went from, I guess you could say, being quite um, quite poor, you know, student and all, to having money, having a position, um, and I ended up having my own place and having more or less all my ducks in a row, things that were supposed to be, you know, this was great. Like, I'm 19 and I have all this. Uh, I had a girlfriend as well. But somewhere deep inside of me, I was was really struggling. I mean really struggling. Undiagnosed, but I tell you, I was... Um, suffering from depression and anxiety. I would bite my fingers, fingernails back to the bone. I would um, grind my teeth at night, and to this day my teeth now have like a permanent pattern from my grinding. But I would clench my, my jaw so much that eventually it would lock. I wouldn't be able to open my mouth. Such was this anxiety and, and depression that I was feeling. There was just some sort of... Um, hole that was in my in my life in my heart, but I wasn't able to quite put my finger on it. You know, I was one of those people. If I could identify, I'd address it. But the one thing that I kind of knew deep down inside, uh, I, I wanted to ignore as well, because again, I wanted to live my own life. And it really came to head for me on my twenty-first birthday. I. Um, In Christchurch, they call it show week, right? And they call it show day. And that's always on a Thursday, right? And what's the culture? People dress up to the nines and they go and get drunk, smashed. Well, Bendigo has its version of that. And in fact, uh, it actually falls on exactly the same day as the Christchurch. And if you're watching the televised live, they switch between Christchurch and Bendigo. And it just so happened that this year, on my 21st birthday, it was going to fall on the exact same day. And I thought I'd hit the jackpot, right? (laughs) It was going to be epic. I had um, people, like, from far and wide coming. I had my twin brother, of course, so that's got to be double. And, uh, (laughs) and, And all these things arranged. Well, would you believe it? They called it a 100-year storm event. In the 150 years of it, they'd never once cancelled this event. And on my 21st birthday, they cancelled it. Now, I remember being... If I was to say I was devastated by this, like, that would be an understatement. (laughs) It was just... It was so bad, like, to have something so epic within my grasp and then to have it just... Taken away. I needed answers. I needed someone to blame. And that was God for me. You know, as much as I'd try to sort of ditch that, I knew, well, who's in control of the weather? God is, right? So I'm going to have it out with God. And so I got in my car and I went to the very place where I thought on a rainy day no one would be, but it was as close as I could get to, you know, God, uh, a sense of spirituality. And I went to the cemetery. I parked the car there, and I remember yelling and screaming at God like a petulant little child. And, you know, like it really was like the baby, (laughs) like tears and yelling and screaming. Um, But I had those big questions of life as well. You know, I was like, uh, you know, those those questions of life that just sort of... there's something in you that wants to know, and so I took that opportunity to yell and scream at God. But I was like, "God, are you really there? Um, oh, am I just hurtling through space on this clump of earth we call a clump of dirt we call Earth?" And um, eventually, I got to the point where I said to God, uh, "God, if if you're real, if you're real, show yourself to me. Show yourself now." And I waited, and of course, nothing. And I'm not proud of it, but I remember in that moment yelling out to God and screaming at him, and I I cursed God. I said, God, no, I don't want anything of you. I curse you. And... Time went on, but my depression and anxiety really just got worse. Um, And I knew a part of me was like, well, if I could be that angry at God, a part of me accepts that he actually exists, right? That's logical. And I've discovered that over the years, the people that seem to be the most anti-God, it's quite often the case for them as well something terrible's happened and they've blamed God. And so one morning I was, um, I woke up not feeling good about myself. I rolled over and I said to my girlfriend at the time who was into witchcraft, I said to her, um, I think I'm going to go to church. And uh, can you imagine her response? She she laughed at me. <laughs> she she scoffed and laughed. She was like, what? Why are you going to church? Where's this come from? Now, I'd like to say that I went to church that day, but it was like the first roadblock that I encountered. And I went, okay, I won't go to church. But the whole time I had this other friend who was inviting me to come along to her church. And she kept on inviting me and and to the point where it got awkward, you know, (laughs) And I ended up saying, okay, I'll I'll come along. And it was a Pentecostal church like this, like this one, and very different to what I was used to at the Catholic church as a child, you know, growing up in the Catholic church. And I remember the first time I went in there, and there's um, music like uh, modern music playing, and I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm very sceptical of it. And, and this is just me being honest, but I remember looking around and going, thinking to myself, this is, this is all make-believe. Like, these people are dedicating their lives. You know, they seem like nice people, but they're dedicating their lives to a lie, right? That's just where I was at. That's being honest. And I remember the it came time for the pastor to get up and start talking, and I remember, you know, this pastor, pastor, what? What's a pastor? Past in price? Sorry, Garth. <laughs> and, and he's not even wearing the right clothes. Like, there was no garments, you know, like the priest's wear or anything like that. Anyway, I st- I'm sitting there and I'm hearing his message. And to this day, I don't know what he actually preached on. But all I remember is hearing truth. I heard the truth. And... I don't know what it was, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I know now, but the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. And I was compelled to keep on, I found myself just keeping on going back again and again and again. And I guess ultimately I was confronted with, was I going to um, accept the truth and the implications of that truth or was I going to go ignorance is bliss? and run run away from it. But I was, I was like, no, I can't, I can't deny the truth, right? And so I just kept on going, kept on going back. And I tell you that, well, the day came, eventually came where they did an altar call where I had the opportunity to raise my hand to accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And I can tell you that it was the best decision that I ever made, and my whole life has changed as a result of this, and uh, if, if someone had told me on that day what I'd be doing in the future, I would have gone, no, no way, Like, um, and since then I can tell you that I became a youth leader for four years, that's the youth, you might be able to see me at the back, that's the original re- revamp cr- crew by the way, uh, we've got some <laughs> youth here tonight. <laughs> And you can see me at the back of it, up in the corner here. Um, (laughs) That's the Easter camp. Lots of fun memories there. Um, But I also went into, I I started going to the prisons and uh, talking to the inmates there. I did that for two years. And I've also become an elder, as Garth mentioned earlier, and I'm periodically invited to speak. But I also met my wife, Jasmine, my beautiful wife, uh, at church. Uh, she was the very first girl that took my eye when I went to church in Adelaide for the very first time and she came up. And that's a whole other thing. But that's, that's, that's a few years ago. That's um, our daughter, Lucy, and Noah. And here's a bit more of a modern shot. Um, growing up, <laughs> but really uh, accepting God, you know, it's, it's completely changed my life. There were some things that happened straight away, like, for example, I stopped grinding my teeth. It, didn't, it wasn't like I, I had to get some sort of special training to stop that, you know, the, the anxiety aspects, the clenching of my jaw. It just kind of went away. And it was it, it actually happened quite quickly, but but then as well, I stopped swearing and and just other things. Just and and God gave me a heart to serve, to serve. And and I went kicking and screaming to start with. I honestly did, but I knew that it would bring glory to God, and and I, I knew that God was calling me to it, and I couldn't deny that. And um, so there's been. It, Yeah, it's just been fantastic. Uh, If the musicians could please come up. Before I finish tonight, I want to share something with you. When I went into the, um, the prisons, we would go with a simple message. It doesn't matter what you've done what matters is what you do now right you're not defined by your the criminal act though there are implications um, what matters is if you uh, what you choose to do with jesus and this was a i mentioned this because for a little while there after i had accepted jesus i thought to myself am i exempted from jesus's love because i i curse god and I meant it at the time with all my heart. Did that mean that I was somehow no longer accepted by Jesus? And I know that talking to people over the years, they wonder if you know, the wrongs that they've done or the things that they struggle with, even struggling with now, does that exempt them from God's love? And I can tell you it doesn't. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39 says this, I um I have in my hands one of my most cherished possessions and you might recognize it it's a uh, little Gideon's New Testament Bible who who's seen or had one of these before yeah they're very widespread anyway this one's been in my possession for decades and but I'd forgotten all about it you see And one day I was going through my stuff. I was moving at the time and I stumbled across the Gideon's Bible and it must have been a few decades since I'd seen it. And I remember looking at it and being blown away like, oh, wow, I remember those and all the memories sort of flooding back. But I picked it up and I started flicking through the pages and eventually I got to the uh, very end and I was astounded by what I discovered there's a dedication to Jesus and it's just an opportunity to, for you to write down your name and to date it and to say Jesus I live for you and there written in child handwriting is my name and dated you see while i while i tried to forget about god through those years god never forgot about me god is good